a minute to get over the corner street fiasco, but don't worry, guys. It's just the game. It'll be okay. Um, hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, last Thursday, obviously, we didn't meet because it was Thanksgiving, and now that we're after Thanksgiving, obviously, what that means is it is full-blown the Christmas season. That's why we have the red and green lights on the stage, and that's why today we are going to be looking at the Christmas story, but we're not going to be looking at the part that we're going to talk about when we get to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, the part where Jesus is born. We're actually going to look at uh, Luke's first chapter, which is the time right before Jesus is born. And the thing about the first chapter of Luke is it, it reminded me a little bit of a place that I've been before in the sense that it's kind of like getting you prepared, it's giving you some context, it's getting your mind right so that you can understand and fully appreciate what is going to come later on in his book. And obviously the place that I am talking about is the Wizarding World of Harry Potter Warner Brothers Studios tour in good old England. And that's right, about five years ago my family went to England it was at a time where I had just started working here full time. I was like, I don't know if I can take all that time off, Dad. He was like, we're going to the Harry Potter Warner Brothers Studios Museum tour. And I said, great, booking my tickets right now. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I love Harry Potter. And so I mostly flew to England with my family to go on this tour. This place is very cool. Uh, it is the actual, I looked over there, there's no screen on that side. It's the actual former studio warehouses where they shot most of the Harry Potter movies. And they turned all of the props, all of the sets into this kind of like self-guided walkthrough museum. And you get to go through and you get to see all of the really cool stuff that went into making those eight movies. And one of the things that you, you think when you're going and you're like looking up things that are happening is there's a lot of really cool stuff. Like you get to take your picture. Don't put the pictures up yet. If I mention one, Luke, I'm not trying to like cue you. Um, you get to take a picture in the flying car from the second uh, movie. You get to take a picture on it like it looks like you're flying on a broomstick. You get to go walk down the Diagon Alley set, which is like huge in real life and like looks like you're actually in a place that they've built. And this tour is long. It's like a four-hour-long tour. They have King's Cross Station, all the like big highlights sets from the movies that they advertise. And we, we start the tour. We're walking. We're, it's like a self-guided, you put the headphones on kind of Jimmy. And we're walking, and we're like, oh, like, that's a nice costume. And, oh, that's a really cool, interesting fact about the director of photography on the first and third film, or whatever, and, and they're like giving you all of this information, they're showing you some cool stuff, but it's not like the stuff that I came for, the reason I flew to England and didn't skip my family vacation for, and they make you wait, they make you walk through the place to get in there, but finally we got to some of the cooler stuff, and this is just the stuff I could find pictures of, uh, I'm not very good at taking pictures, but it's me and my dad, we were on the Hogwarts Express, I had my eyes closed for the picture, I clearly... We didn't take another one, so this is what we got. Uh, next one, my whole family in the flying car. Isn't that crazy? We were really flying. It was nuts. Uh, the next one, look, I'm on a broomstick. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that crazy? Uh, is that the last one? I think that's the last one. Yep, that's the last one. All the pictures I could find. But we finally got to the cool stuff, the stuff that I had heard about, the stuff that I was excited to see. And it took a while to get to the thing we came for, 
But the journey, the, the intro, the setting provided some context fully and so that we could fully appreciate when we finally got to that stuff. And the same thing happens in Luke's gospel. The thing we come for, the story, uh, the Christmas story, Jesus' life and death and resurrection, that's like what the gospel is all about. But the first chapter of Luke is giving us some time to prepare, to appreciate before we get there. And that's kind of what this whole season of Advent is about, right? It's looking forward to the coming, the impending arrival of Jesus. It's time before to celebrate, to recognize the good news of the Christmas story that is Jesus' arrival and ultimately his death and resurrection. Tonight I want to look at Luke chapter 1. It's, it's like 80 verses. We're not going to read all 80 verses. Don't worry. I'm going to try to fly through and hit some of the things. And what I wanted to focus on in this chapter is the response that we see from the different characters in chapter 1 to the message of the gospel, to the good news that Jesus is coming to dwell in the flesh on earth uh, for us, right? And so uh, as we get to the first response, we're going to meet a character named Zechariah. And if you were at church on Sunday, you heard Pastor Rich talk a lot about Zechariah and what he went through. And so just to, I'll quickly recap Zechariah just in case, this should be the first slide there, uh, just in case you weren't or don't know some of that. But Zechariah, uh, he was a, a faithful Guy, in the beginning of Luke's, uh, of the chapter one, uh, he is described, and, and his wife, Elizabeth, they are both described as righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So first thing we learn about Zechariah is that he's faithful. He's so faithful he that even in a time where having a, a child, uh, continuing your family name was a very important thing that, that everyone was trying to do, Right? Him and his wife, they had no children. She was barren. They were older in age, and yet he remained faithful and righteous and blameless is how he's described. So that's Zechariah, and we see he, he's working in the temple, and uh, he, he's a priest, and an angel of the Lord appears in front of him, and we see that Zechariah kind of shifts to, to a moment of fear, right? So the angel Pops up, it says, appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar, and Zechariah was troubled, and fell, and fear fell upon him. Right? So Zechariah, he's a faithful guy, he's he's lived a long life, he's a priest, he's doing all the things he's supposed to do. An angel shows up to him, and he is afraid. And you see that often in the Bible, right? Every time you see an angel pop up, oftentimes their first words are, Do not be afraid, which is exactly what the angel says to Zechariah. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. But then he brings them some good news, right? For, the, for your prayers have been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call him John. So he gets this good news. It's not the good news, but it is good news for Zechariah. After so long of faithfully waiting, he and Elizabeth are going to have a son. And there is uh, the good news within that is that his son, he is told, is going to be the one who comes before the Lord, prepares the way for the Lord. Like his son named John is going to have an important role in the story that God is telling, in Jesus coming. And, and Zechariah, he hears all of this stuff. He hears the good news and his reaction, his response. The first response that we're going to look at tonight is one of disbelief. Zechariah is a faithful guy, but even faithful people, even people who have been 
uh, following God for a long time can have moments of disbelief. And Zechariah's response to the angel after hearing all that is, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. He doubts. He cannot believe what the angel is saying to him. And the angel hears this disbelief and Zechariah has a consequence brought on. And the angel says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak. Uh, I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and, and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which you will see fulfilled in their time. So Zechariah hears the good news. He's going to have a son, which is a miracle in and of itself, but that son is going to prepare the way for the Lord as he comes to earth. The good news, the gospel, the reason for the season, as they say. And he is in disbelief. And their consequence of that disbelief is silence. And the silence echoes God's silence in the world. After the prophet Malachi, the, the Old Testament ends. And there's 400 years where the people of Israel just don't hear from God. And now here God is showing up, preparing the way through Zechariah. He's brought into the story. Big things are happening. And, and Zechariah just can't believe it. And his... his uh, his consequence is the silence that echoes God's silence in the world for the past 400 years. But ironically, the consequence of that disbelief, the silence that brings Zechariah, uh, that he brings to Zechariah for those nine months of Elizabeth's pregnancy is actually a sign that God is working, that, that God is doing something new. And it actually kind of moves re Zechariah's response from one of dis disbelief to one of faith, which is the second uh, the second response to the good news. But as we look at the faith, we kind of see in the verses that follow the exact same scenario of what happened to Zechariah happened to someone else. And this time it is Mary being told that she will give birth to Jesus. And, and, and the angel Gabriel is the same angel. It is the same information except for instead of your wife's pregnant, it's your pregnant. Instead of the child that will be that is going to prepare the way for the Lord. It is your child is going to be the Lord come to earth in the flesh. And, and it's the exact same thing. And Mary is even a little hesitant, uh, but not to the effect that Zechariah was. And ultimately, Mary has this same exact conversation with the angel that Zechariah had. And her response is not met with silence, is not met with consequence, but her response is indicative of the faith that she had in, in seeing an angel and coming face to face. The first thing the angel says to her is not, do not be afraid. It is, greetings, O favored one. And I always think that's really funny when they throw the exclamation point in on the greetings in the Bible. I always think, greetings, you know, like that's how I imagine the angels. It's like, do not be afraid. That's how I read that in my head. But greetings, like I hear it in a higher pitched voice. I don't know why. Um, but Mary has this conversation with uh, Gabriel that opens up completely differently. And by the end, her response is one of faith. She says, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departs from her. So Zechariah is faced with the good news. The good news is brought to him. And he has a response of disbelief. Mary has the exact same interaction. And hers is one of faith, is one of surrender. Right? Of course she's surprised. Of course it's shocking 
to come face to face to an angel. And the angel eventually had to say, I think his second or third sentence was, do not be afraid, Mary. But ultimately, her posture of surrender, of faith, was her response to hearing the good news. And so I kind of see this as a, as a cycle, right? I know that we just looked at two different characters there, but, but uh, Zechariah has a moment where his silence, where his consequence of disbelief moves him into a response of faith, moves him, it's, he sees that silence as a sign, it moves him into a posture of, of surrender just like Mary's, and I kind of see this as, as, a, as a cycle, right? Like, we've all had moments of disbelief. Like, Zechariah was an old man, he was a priest, he was literally described as a faithful uh, servant above reproach for the Lord, and yet he still had disbelief. Why would we not disbelieve sometimes too? Why would we not have moments of doubt? But ultimately, sometimes, even in, in a moment of doubt, in a moment of disbelief, we move, and maybe we feel like we have a consequence. I don't think anybody's been muted uh, for nine months, but if you have, that'd be crazy. Um, but, but I feel like sometimes we can feel like in our lives we have a consequence uh, from something that we did, or we feel like something has happened and this is like our punishment. I, I know I felt like that oftentimes, but through that, often I think that God is using that as a moment to move us to a response of faith. And the faith is kind of the internal acceptance, right, of what we're hearing, of what we're experiencing, of what we're seeing. Uh, and, and the next step after we move from disbelief to faith is to move from faith to praise, which is kind of that external uh, a showing of faith. And so as, as we get to the, near the end of the chapter, um, we see both Mary and Zechariah move from internal postures of, of, of faith to an external uh, response of praise. And for Mary, uh, she, uh, the, the subtitle thing, it says, Mary's song of praise, the Magnificat. And Mary literally sings a song of praise. And, and I'm not going to go through each and every line of the song, but if you're welcome to look it up, it's right there in Luke chapter 1. And she kind of covers three things in her song of praise. She praises God for his work in her own life, right? She, she's saying, God, thank you so much for what you have done for me. She praises God for everyone, for what he has done in humanity, for how he has helped the, the sick, the poor, the dying, the lame, for how he has healed those who need healing, for how he has brought peace to those who need it. And she also prays for what praise, has praise for what God has done for, for his own people, right? for, for, for the promise of what is to come. And Zechariah's praise even moves a step further. He's not just singing of what is happening, but he gives a prophecy of what is to come. And this is kind of how Luke ends his first chapter on Zechariah's prophecy, which is foretelling basically of what is to come with Jesus. Because right in chapter 2, the first thing is the birth of Jesus. And so he kind of leaves us off right before we get to the part uh, of what we came for, looking at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus with Zechariah's prophecy. And within that prophecy, we find him praising God for four things. And he, he praises God for... Uh, for being redeemed, right? He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And, and when he's saying redeemed here, he's talking about being set free by paying a price, the price that Jesus is coming just a few verses later 
to pay. He praises for salvation. And, uh, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Salvation is coming in the form of Jesus in just a few verses. He praises God for the forgiveness, the canceling of debts that is on its way. And he ends it by saying, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. He praises God for the promise of a new day, for a new beginning, for new life that is to come and give light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death. Luke is dropping us off at the end of chapter 1 on the doorstep of chapter 2, getting us ready for Christmas of what we celebrate for at the Christmas story of Jesus' birth, of Jesus' arrival, because we know that his arrival, it, it means so much more. It means that the rest of his life is coming. It means his death is coming. And it means his resurrection for us is coming. And, and through Zechariah and Mary, I think we see that the responses to all of this stuff that we can see, that we can celebrate, that we know has happened and will happen for us, it, it, that our responses, sometimes we, are, we start with a response of disbelief, that that disbelief oftentimes hopefully moves us to a response of faith and that ideally once we hit that point that we can praise God for what he is doing. When confronted with the good news of the gospel, we tend to cycle through these responses. And what does that look like for us? Disbelief, have we ever doubted, questioned, feared the Bible, what we're reading in there, what we feel like God is saying to us when we pray, what, things that we're hearing at church or at student ministry night right here on a missions trip, on a camp, have we ever had a moment where we've been presented or we've heard, where we've read, where we've seen the good news and had a moment of disbelief? Zechariah uh, is introduced as a righteous and blameless before God, and even he was in disbelief. I don't think it's crazy to think that that might happen to us, but what are we going to do from that point? Are we going to Are we going to move? And take any feeling of, of consequence, any feeling that this disbelief has caused us to feel so disconnected from God. To maybe even feel like we're being punished, that we've been pushed away. I know that I've heard students say, and I've felt even in my own life, that we feel distant from God. And maybe we feel like that distance comes from us even doubting a little bit. And, and I just want to say that in that feeling, in that moment... That there is an opportunity there to find faith. Zechariah was, was silenced for questioning a miracle was going to happen in his own life. And yet, and yet he used that opportunity to see how God was using that pain, that, that potential like bad thing that he could have dwelled on. That he could have just, just sunk into a deep dark hole and been like, I can't believe this has happened to me. Like God did this to me. But no, he used that as an opportunity to, to see God working for good and how he got to be a part of that good. So where are we being invited into God's story, invited into an experience and a response of faith in our lives? And maybe we're not surrendering like Mary did. Maybe we're not seeing or even looking for it like Zechariah was. And finally, praise. And Once we're there, once we're feeling like, like faith and joy in the good news, we're excited about what Jesus and, and his coming and his life and his death and his resurrection means, are we going to joyfully present it to the world? Mary and Zechariah, 
they, they gave a, a public speech, a prophecy. She sang a song. I'm not saying you need to burst into make up a song telling of all the great things God has done in your life. But you could. I'm just kidding. Uh, you don't have to do that. <laughs> uh, sometimes uh, that was, I am sidetracking. But oh, so, well, Max was about to break into song. I was like, sometimes I wish I lived in like high school musical or something whenever we'd all just like break into song right now. But I just derailed myself and I apologize. I'm almost done. Um, so where can we build in more acts of praise into our lives? Zachariah's story, Mary's story, the Christmas story is more than just the miracle of Elizabeth and Mary giving birth. Is more than just the joy seen in, in faithful people's lives. It's about God's promises being fulfilled while the needs, hopes, and fears of just ordinary people are not forgotten, not pushed away, but they are central to the larger story being written. Our response to the good news of the Christmas story should not live in the, just the Christmas season. I'd hope that this season we can, we can reignite a flame, we can find it for the first time, but it should not live just in this season. It should be in our everyday, ordinary parts of our lives. The ordinary is not forgotten by the extraordinary story God is telling, but it is invited to become a part of it. Will we disbelieve? Sometimes, sure, but we can turn that into faith in and praise of the good news that Jesus Christ came to this world as a baby so that he could rise up and become a man and die on the cross for me, for you, for the world. And that is something that we should be super excited about. Guys, I'm gonna, uh, we're going to hopefully talk about this more in small groups tonight. And I'm going to pray for us and then we'll break out. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here together tonight. God, we know that, that Christmas is, is an exciting time. It, it is, a, is, a, is a great season. It is a great holiday. But even more than the decorations and the lights and the presents, we know that that we are celebrating your arrival. We are celebrating that your arrival means that, that we are not, are not left out to die, that you have died for our sins. Lord, we are sinful, sinful people, and we know that, but you came and you died for us, and we cannot ever praise you enough. We cannot ever uh, love you enough. God, be with each and every person here tonight as we, as we discuss this idea of what it means to, to respond to the good news that you came to die for us. God, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And all God's people said, amen.